Hello, my name is Donald and welcome to Worldview. Worldview is a podcast where we explore everyone's perspectives on all things that can broaden our worldview. Today's show is sponsored by Fred's Toilets. We have it all here at Fred's Toilets, from small, medium to bent. Contact us to receive a premium waste disposal kit. Fred's Toilets, we are number one in the number two business. In today's discussion, we will talk about Cape Independence. We are joined by Nicholas Woodsmith from the Rational Standard, Chris Hutton from the Free Market Foundation, and Martin van Staden, jurist and author. Welcome, guys. Mm. Thank you for okay. having us. So um, let me start by giving my views on Cape Independence. So I approach it more on a positive side. So a lot of people are pessimistic. They want to leave South Africa because they think it's going to go to hell. But like people like Franz Cronier, I think the future long-term prospects of South Africa are quite positive. My problem is just it's going to take a long while. It's probably going to take 50 or what years. There's going to be a lot of crap, internal ANC battles, and I'd rather have that divorce sooner and have a sort of Singapore, Hong Kong experience sooner than wait way long for it perhaps to happen 50 years from now. So that's sort of the way I approach Cape Independence. So yeah, Nicholas, who's the Deputy Minister of Transport? Oh, okay. No, I'm joking. No, just go ahead. <laughs> Um, I think, didn't you ask that question in a previous interview? And I yeah. said they gave the same answer. I don't care. Um, <laughs> so um, I've been supporting Cape Independence for since high school, actually. Uh, it's probably one of my oldest political views. And uh, I know you said that you come from a, um, a project from a more positive angle, but in a way, they can also be pessimistic that you're saying that, well, I want South Africa is going to be having all this conflict anyway, and you want to get away from it which is just another side of the coin saying that the Cape would be a positive alternative. There's always going to be two sides of the same coin. We're never going to just say, oh, well, South Africa is terrible. So we just want to leave because the Cape is going to be less terrible. We leave, we want to leave because we think the Cape is going to be a positive alternative. As you say, the Hong Kong or Singapore experience. Um, I would actually hope that um, we approach the Hong Kong and Singapore developmental models, but uh, from a freer angle. Because as much as I do quite admire their developmental um, model, there is a, a little bit of authoritarianism there. And um, especially with Singapore, uh, Lee Kuan Yew had a cult of personality that allowed him to get away with a lot of stuff that I don't think anyone in the Cape could do. So we're going to, it's going to be a lot rougher, but in a way, I think also a lot freer as a result. Um, it's a, there's a very broad topic though. So there's a lot of stuff to touch on. And um, I think the main reason, though, that I would say that I think um, Cape Independence is a desirable, but also in a way, an inevitable conclusion is that South Africa itself, I'd say, is like many nations around the world. It's an artificial construct. It's a bunch of nations and groups that will force together into one political entity. And the type of political entity that they were forced into is one that cannot actually sustain this type of society. So you can get empires like the Ottomans, the British Empire, many empires that can function with a multicultural society that uh, have groups that don't like each other. The Ottomans were able to do that for a long time. But the problem is, is that empires are designed to govern multicultural societies. When a nation, by definition, is a semi-ethnic construct, it's something where you have a unitary 
culture that is a political entity. And the big problem with South Africa is we use the saying that we have like 11 national languages as a point of pride, when that's actually should be an indication that we shouldn't be a unitary centralized mm. uh, country. We should be, if anything, a confederacy, a federation with very good, uh, with great local autonomy. But we also know that our ruling party would never go for that because it's completely anathema to their worldview. Can you imagine the, um, the, a communist saying that they will want to allow the Cape local autonomy? I think it's more impossible to think that the NC would ever allow for federalism than it, it, we could say that the NC will lose complete power and just allow the balkanization of South Africa. So I think it's an inevitability that I desire. Welcome back to Real News. The Constitutional Court has just delivered an extremely significant judgment. And now we go live to someone in the field for more feedback. John, can you hear us? The, the Constitutional Court? Why, why, am I, why am I in the field? Jesus fucking Christ, this company can't get anything right. 15 fucking years of my life and now they're letting me go? Where is my pension? And you know what? This country's gone to fucking shit. <laughs> we appear to be having some, some technical difficulties, and we'll provide you for some feedback on the Constitutional Court's decision after the break. Okay, Martin? Yeah, so uh, Nicholas has a far more uh, sophisticated approach to this than I do. Um, uh, don't let the colors of my hoodie uh, create the impression that I am an unqualified uh, pro-secessionist. This is uh, very coincidental. Um, I am very much a conditional supporter of Cape Independence or a conditional opponent of Cape Independence, whatever the case may be. Um, as I indicated in my previous discussion with you guys in Worldview, I consider myself a professional libertarian in every respect. So um, uh, whether I support or oppose something depends entirely on how that will uh, turn out for individual liberty. Uh, you also know that I am by no means a principled supporter of, uh, of localism. I don't have this romanticization of if the guy down the street is your governor, somehow everything will just be better. Uh, that's definitely not my approach to these things. But in our present South African context, I think it's very difficult to deny that a independent Cape is likelier to be better for liberty than a continued ANC dominance over the entire state is going to be for liberty. Uh, but even that is conditional. If, for instance, the Cape declares independence and immediately closes their borders and doesn't allow anyone from the rest of what used to be the United South African state to enter the Cape in search of freedom, then I would very much <laughs> support the South African military reintegrating uh, the Cape back into South Africa. Uh, I will definitely not uh, accept a, a, an authority closed border uh, state uh, uh, that uh, uh, behaves in that fashion. But presumably, and I get this indication from its most uh, ardent supporters and drivers now, is that the Cape would, if, if it's declared independent, would be a liberal democracy uh, with a very uh, big emphasis on uh, economic freedom and personal liberty and the rule of law. And that gives me some, some optimism, uh, but there's no, no uh, guarantee of that. 
but yeah, I'm I'm keenly looking at the movement. I think the idea of a referendum is self-defeating. Uh, uh, I think that they should stop that. I think they should invest far more money in communicating the idea of Cape Independence, of pushing for it uh, on a popular level, make films, documentaries, music, whatever. Stop doing polling, stop doing uh, a referendum uh, 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 studies or whatever. It's, 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 it's not helping. Um, so yeah, I'm very interested in the topic. Uh, I would support it wholeheartedly if it turns out to be a, a movement of freedom and I will oppose it wholeheartedly if it turns out to be a movement of oppression. Um, and yeah, that's essentially my view. I'm very keen to get into a, a broader discussion about it. Chris? Thanks for asking me for my for me, me lastly, after my two uh, colleagues have given such erudite views on it. I think I very much agree with Martin on the point of to what end. So not just independence for itself or, you know, sort of independence qua independence, but what is it for? Is it to establish a certain different kind of dispensation and administration in the Western Cape? Or is it simply, I guess, to, to be a power grab for the people who are pushing it kind of thing? So that that will ultimately be the standard by which, the moral standard by which I measure whether I'll support it or not. I will say, I mean, a great thing with an increasingly globalized world is the power of of moving around and by that i mean if you move to a different place you take your vote there so by moving you vote for living in a different place than you would where you were born for example and if cape independence can happen in a good fashion and one can you know can clearly show what that administration can do for people's lives quality of life why you're freer there than you would be in other provinces or in the country that is you know the republic of south africa I think that's a great thing. On the other hand, with increasing globalization, if you have a one world government, which just decides that all administrations are the same around the world, then it doesn't matter where you go, where you vote with your feet, as it were, because regardless, you're going to be um, you're going to be under the whims of a government uh, hub in Brussels or Geneva or Rio de Janeiro or wherever it happens to be. We shouldn't just presume that the US will will be the one world government. Maybe, I don't know. Um, but there are other other actors around the world as well. So, yeah, I think basically it's it's an inevitability, I think, given South Africa's history and its current pressures. I do not see realism on the part of the current ruling party in terms of fixing what is wrong and what it's how much it has messed up. And in that way, it's it's in its own way, it will push Cape independence more. Almost in a way, it's making the strongest case for the strongest case for Cape Independence. So I think it will happen. Let's see what sort of fashion it takes, um, and and from there, then I'll I'll decide whether to throw all of my moral moral and intellectual weight behind it or not. Yeah, um, what's interesting to me is that when the DA had the local elections, I think it was in two thousand sixteen. When there was the local elections here, the, the, the motto, the slogan was vote for the DA to keep an ANC EFF coalition out. And you can almost apply that nationally against the DA, right? Vote for Western Cape independence to stop an ANC EFF coalition. It's sort of a reverse flip that you can do on them. It's sort of a message that you can pull. But in terms of Martin saying, um, 
immigration and the practicality of Cape independence, how would you respond to that, Nicholas? Um, how would you do the immigration side? It's like the rest of South Africa getting, I don't know, citizenship in the Western Cape, or do they not? So the big thing about this topic is it's one of the favorite topics by a lot of uh, Cape secessionists who are pro, the, uh, pro it, because a lot of, I'm going to admit it, there's a lot of ethnic conservatives who the reason they support Cape independence is because they have an ethnic idea of what the Cape should be and they want to keep out people they don't like. Mm. Fortunately, they are loud, but they're not actually a majority. The majority of Cape independence supporters are more liberal. They're doing it from a practical standpoint. They want to be the jewel of Africa. They want to be the Singapore of Africa, but still be allowed to chew, uh, to eat chewing gum. Um, but the thing about immigration, that's how I approach it from a political standpoint and from uh, Marson's favorite word, prag a pragmatic standpoint, is that um, people are going to have their stupid little ethnic things where they want to control borders and stop immigrants from coming in because they're scared of the boogeyman immigrant, even though economic uh, facts and history and all the stuff shows that immigration is actually a boon to your society. And you, the thing about the Western Cape is that we're not going to be able to stop immigration from coming in. We have an unpoliceable border and that's fine. And now a lot of people say that's the reason why the Cape independence shouldn't happen is that we have an unpoliceable border. But by that definition, South Africa really shouldn't exist because South Africa's border is even more unpoliceable. Um, in fact, if your entire support of an independent Cape gauges on which border is more policeable, the Western Cape border will be smaller, so it will be slightly more policeable. I think it's a silly way to gauge if you're going to support a country. I prefer um, Martin and Chris do's, um uh, their uh, um, method why they want to support a Cape, Indepe uh, Cape independence is that it would be a freer country that would be better for the people living in it. But um, I, I did want to say when Martin said that he would support the SNDF um, taking the, uh, take, uh, reintegrating the Western Cape back into South Africa, I wanted to ask which military, because um, um, we don't really have the capacity. The paratroopers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we have a few paratroopers where, uh, well, actually, then I have to ask which plans. Are they going to revive Mango and they're going to drop the guys off Mango plans? Um, so my pragmatic viewpoint when it comes to immigration and with the, for the Cape Republic is I don't care if a bunch of populists, because, you know, there's different Cape independence groups and some of them have different views. I don't see any of them as seriously reflecting what the country is going to look like. Uh, it's going to, um, I think that we're still far, we're still building a movement. And I think the culture is going to happen uh, based on what, uh, on the circumstances of how we secede. If it's amicable, I think we're going to have open borders and it's basically going to be a nice free trade and stuff like that, especially if there's a balkanized South Africa where we can work together with the other states which have seceded. If it's less than amicable and we leave in a hail of gunfire. And in what yeah. scenario do you see open borders? How do you see that playing out? So the big thing is about the region is that because we've been a single country for so long, it's going to be very hard to stop people from wanting to travel over the border. And as much as a lot of people are like, no, they don't want South African refugees coming to the, into the Cape, it's just completely unrealistic. This, we have trade with other people in the rest of South Africa, and also we've got families all over the place. It would be terrible uh, for, uh, for quality of life if we stopped uh, um, trans-border travel in Southern Africa. I think that functionally, it's going to be open borders because you can't police the borders because most borders are unpoliceable. Um, and also, I think that because there are so many people who have their foot in the Western Cape and their foot in the rest of South Africa, it's going to be something where 
I think dual citizenship will be very common if one if both countries allow. I, I don't see why the Cape would not allow it. If it's a less than amicable uh, divorce, I think the South African state might stop it. But I do believe that if one state in South Africa secedes, I think there's going to be others. I think that if the Cape secedes, I think there was going to be calls for Zulu secession. There's already some calls for causes uh, secession. And there's also calls for uh, people who want to integrate parts of South Africa into Lesotho and Botswana. There's a, a lot of people in this country do not want to be a part of this country. And I think that all they really need is to realize that secession is something that's possible. Because the only thing that's really holding them back is they think it's some possible idea, mostly because they don't read history and they don't realize that <laughs> political borders change all the time. Um, Chris, do you want to add anything to that? Only to say, I wonder, I mean, it's it's interesting, the point around the free movement of people across borders, but also the, the matter of goods and services. Because if, let us say, the Cape became independent and it incur it, it brings in a lot of foreign investment. Already now, uh, Amazon is going to build their headquarters in Cape Town, their African headquarters, um, and the Cape isn't even independent as yet. I think that sort of thing, that sort of increased flow will, will present a very big temptation to Pretoria and Bloemfontein to bring in mercenaries or other help or something to reintegrate the Cape back into the fold. At the end of the day, you know, for all of the, the lofty talk about um, politicians and bureaucrats serving the quote unquote people, they're also in it. I mean, we've seen it, but they're in it for their own gain as well. And if they see a lot of revenue coming into the Cape, they're going to want, going to want that revenue flowing into their coffers as well. So I wonder how, how long they'll entertain that idea and what steps how desperate they would become i mean even now we we've had the different stages of the national democratic revolution at the moment there's talk about the national health insurance that's a pot of money we've got prescribed assets that's a pot of money so everywhere they're looking for pots of money and i wonder whether an independent cape would be independent for a few years and then one would see actual violent strife at the borders so you say almost like what happened in Scotland is that you can use the threat of independence to force more federalism, uh, devolution of powers. Um, yeah, I've, I think that can. Martin, um, you've mentioned in the World View interview that you would refer, if I remember correctly, a more federalism approach than Cape independence. How do you see that actually working? Because as far as I understand, you need like 75% of the votes in parliament to get that through um, the constitution. So isn't that even more difficult than Cape independence? No, look, so I, uh, I know Phil Craig has now has said multiple times that federalism is more difficult than, than national independence. I absolutely do not buy that one little bit. Uh, uh, I'm not saying federalism would be easy by, by any means, but when you're talking about breaking away a part of a state, then you're you are effectively talking about if, if you plan well, to do let, it at let any me just, cost. Let me just yeah. clarify. Um, I'm not saying yeah. it's it's going to be hell, perhaps, if Cape Independence, yeah. but it's going to be more likely to happen than federalism. That's that's what oh, I mean. Oh no no yeah no I, I I I know yeah so no I still I still don't don't believe that <laughs> uh, I I think fe federalism is is exceedingly difficult to attain um, but if the Cape Independence movement itself really uh, leads to a groundswell um, if there's uh, clear pressure for it and and a developing not not a majority necessarily but a, a very strong 
uh, portion of the population of the Western Cape says, yeah, we, we want Cape independence and we're going to push for it, then you make federalism extremely likely. You make it very, very likely. Uh, uh, it doesn't matter if 100% uh, of the Cape believes that the state should be independent. It's still going to be difficult to achieve that because of, I mean, take your pick. Kuberg is uh, a South African power station in the Cape. It's our only nuclear power station. The Western Cape contributes I believe the second uh, largest portion of revenue to the South African state. There are multiple reasons that the ANC government would, would fight tooth and nail to keep the Cape as part of South Africa. And we need to be aware of that. Um, but if the if you go to the ANC and you say, listen, we now have a massive portion of people who are now insisting on independence, I can almost guarantee the ANC would say, wow, okay, this is a problem for us. Let's talk about a compromise. Uh, and within the framework of that compromise, I think uh, we have very, very real constitutional uh, avenues towards a federalist dispensation. It would be ideal for us to amend the constitution. Uh, it would only be a two-thirds majority necessary uh, to to um, change the provincial setup entirely to make it uh, uh, far more constitutionally federal. Um, but even without amending the constitution, there are various provisions, mostly that relate to local government, uh, that say things like if a local government can do something better than a higher level of government, then it must be able to do so. Uh, so that is uh, one avenue to sneak in federalism under our current uh, constitutional dispensation. And all you need for that is ordinary national legislation uh, defining a new system of local government, uh, which can simply be, uh, you can define the Western Cape or a portion of it as a local government. Um, that's not impossible. So there are, uh, uh, avenues to achieve a federal devolution of power in South Africa. And I think that at the end of the day is going to be far more likely uh, than achieving Cape independence. And even if Cape independence remains the ultimate goal, uh, if you can achieve uh, federal devolution in the meantime, then it's it's a uh, it's fewer steps to ultimate independence in the future if you if you still want to push for that. Um, so I think that's just a, a, a realist uh, uh, note from my side in that it's it is going to be easier to attain federal uh, devolution and then you are going to have to compromise uh, and say Kuberg will still feed into the national grid uh, people from the rest of South Africa can still come into the Cape freely they may not be able to vote in Cape elections but they can still be present and work here and live here um, uh, the Cape will still pay a very large amount of its national revenue to the ANC government. I mean, this is something that I, I fear a lot of people are going to have to make uh, a peace with. And that is that the Cape isn't going to come out of this financially totally uh, free to spend the large amount of money that Cape taxpayers give uh, to, to the fiscus. A lot of that is going to have to be reinvested into South Africa if this, if we want Cape independence or Cape devolution to be a peaceful process. Uh, you're gonna have to give something in exchange for getting the autonomy or even the independence. It's not gonna be a one-sided, hey, the people have spoken and said they wanna be independent and we're leaving. That's that's simply not a, a, a realist approach to how uh, a government in general, but specifically an African government that uh, uh, 
uh, is is very much poised to control as much power as it possibly can. That's simply not how it's going to work in reality. Now, if you want to fight your way out, that changes things. If you have a good financial backer uh, who is going to buy your uniforms and your equipment and your tanks and your bombs, then maybe there's an argument for that. But if you want to negotiate your way out, you want to uh, talk your way out, you want to compromise your way out, then you're still going to end up paying a lot of money into South Africa, feeding a lot of energy back. Uh, the, the South African Navy isn't going to give up Simonstown anytime soon. Uh, so there's a lot of compromised things that we need to talk about there. Uh, and I think uh, devolution in general is just going to be the path of least resistance, uh, at least for now, uh, for, for, for the first step. Uh, and then in the future, we can, uh, if, it, if devolution doesn't work, uh, then of course you can circle back to independence. So, Nicholas, I've heard that, for example, Ellen Ziller and John Stearsnason uh, made very similar arguments to this, that it looks like this is this sort of a comeback to the Cape Independence question is that if you're going to do it, you're going to have to pay all these taxes for Kuberg, whatever, you don't want to do that. But I'm also thinking, I mean, we're now paying for state capture and whatnot, all the crap that the ANC has stolen and whatnot. And it's almost like, can it even be, uh, well, I mean, it's an open question if, you, if we really have to pay it. I mean, uh, but yeah, even if we have to pay it, could it be less than what we're paying right now? for the um, incompetencies of the ANC. The thing is that about federalism is that uh, people are considering it as a form of a loss for Cape Independence, but I would say no. Um, if you actually note by what uh, Martin said early on in his uh, point was he says that while we're developing a movement for independence, it can be used as a bargaining chip to gain federalism and increase local autonomy. And a lot of people are making this idea, this argument um, like uh, uh, um, Zilla and Stenhazen, that we're still going to have to pay all these expenses, but we're already paying those expenses. So the worst thing that could happen with federalism or increased local autonomy, or maybe even a deal where we become independent, but we still have to pay them a ransom sort of, is we're still paying them the amount that we're paying them anyway, but we have, our, we have political independence and we have the independence to pass policies that help free our people and also just help generate economic growth. And also, if we have, um, if we're able to retain more of our tax income, we're, we're going to be paying less. So the kind of argue, that argument is effectively saying, well, we're still going to be paying 75% of the money that we're paying rather than 100%, but it's not 0%, so we shouldn't even try. I think you must always go for these steps. I'm perfectly fine with compromise. And my big idea is, and I mentioned this in my roadmap to liberty, which about um, Cape Independence on the rational standard, I think it's called Cape Independence uh, Roadmap to Liberty. And it's about the steps that I believe need to be taken in order to build the movement and then gain, uh, to gain independence. And I talk about that achieving local autonomy and using the Cape Independence movement as a bargaining chip is one of the steps. I don't think that you should just like, go from what we have now and just immediately declare independence. You need to have that bargaining where you say, dudes, if you don't want to lose the Western Cape, um, you're going to have to give us some um, dispensation and we're going to have to negotiate. And there's two options there. Either they make concessions and we win because we're gaining some, we're gaining a foothold 
and we and things are getting better. They might not be what we wanted completely, but we're ga- we're getting we're getting there. And I think some gains are better than no gains, or they reject us, and all that does is just legitimize the independence movement more by showing that there are souls who are unwilling to compromise. And that also looks very good to foreign supporters who, if things do have to get violent, you're going to need foreign support. And uh, the best thing to do to gain foreign supporters is to show that there's an authoritarian government who is unwilling to compromise with um, local independence movements. Yeah, um, Chris, I know you're also, um, well, I I know you're a fan of Ayn Rand. Um, How do you see this also, I don't know, coming into the Cape Independence question? Do you see, I've read some of Ayn Rand, but did she also believe in a devolvement of powers and would she have supported such an idea of Cape independence? I'm going to get excommunicated from the objectivist movement because I'm going to pretend to say what Rand would have said. But I mean, I would imagine for if you look at the US independence in the war against Britain, I mean, that was a war to establish what they saw as a more moral and just form of government, not beholden to a foreign monarch that sort of idea whether that experiment i mean it's been successful to some extent and it's been showing its cracks unfortunately to other extents but i think one should be quite optimistic about what the u.s has managed with its uh, moral and constitutional framework up until this point so to cape independence i think it goes back to the again the standard by which you're measuring it's around you know with anything it wouldn't just be this thing is good or this thing is bad without a context it's it's not it's not just in a vote in a yeah it's it's not uh, isolated from factors around it so what would be the end goal of cape independence if it is to establish a more liberty friendly uh enclave or gulch to use a, a phrase from atlas shrugged then yes i think she would very much be in favor of this sort of thing it's always about i think f- from the objectivist framework the important thing is that the form of government that is established is a rights, an individual rights respecting government. That's the most important thing. From there, other things can flow out of it. You can have questions about how to do taxation and, and that kind of thing. I mean, for, for Rand, government is a necessary good, but it should be conceived in the right way. It's It's not to say that there should be no government or anything like that but it should be conceived in the right way. And if you can somehow manage to do that in the in the context of Cape independence, I think there would be serious moral weight behind it. Whether you can, I guess the other question is, can you effectively um, deal with the contending forces within the Cape independence movement? Maybe can there be a compromise between them? Will a more authoritarian streak win out? Will a more conservative streak win out? Will a more liberal streak went out um that that again becomes a point further down the line but in principle i would say objectivism you know especially when it comes to the the conceiving of government if you can devolve powers and make it make the government more accountable to the people where they can continue to shape the society in a in an individual rights flourishing way then yes uh, i think objectivism would support that kind of thing uh what do you think because I've read Atlas Shrugged, and I know the end, there's the scene where she goes to this sort of utopia, um, anarchic place where she meets, I think, her boyfriend, and she has to make this vow in this new country. I don't, can't remember that. Oh, vow. with uh, Dagny, you know? Yeah. What do you think? 
of something like that, adding to, I don't know, a Western Cape or a new country, you're, I know, for example, in the United States, you have to make this entire pledge of allegiance if you want to become a citizen. What do you think of a sort of a, I don't know, indoctrination is a strong word, but a sort of a procedure, um, a pledge that you have to make in a new Western Cape, I vow to be, I don't know, a capitalist or whatever. Hey, in that case, if, if that's the one provision, then I think that would be great. <laughs> and, uh, and you pay if if you if you're a socialist, we pay for you to go to a socialist country. <laughs> uh, I think. Look, my concern with pledges of allegiance, and like we're inevitably going to talk about the U.S. here because a lot of our pop culture is so informed by it. But I find that sort of thing where kids, for example, have to say the pledge of allegiance in high school deeply concerning uh, and worrying. I think that very much dilutes the whole experiment in and of itself, where the state portends to give value judgments and value assessments to kids and they have to sort of do it by rote and and uh, um, stand up and say it every morning kind of thing that to me in a one way it opens the door to to abuses and corruption and another way it just dilutes the sort of idea of liberty in and of itself i think if you get an independent cape obviously one would hope that it has a very strong and um uh, very strong individual individual rights respecting constitution so by by signing onto that constitution, you already sign some sort of pledge. I don't like the word pledge, but, but in that way, you then already support what the CAPE stands for, what the ideas are behind it. I mean, Rand, for example, said that the US constitution was the the only moral, I think the only moral document for government um, behavior ever conceived in history because it was the only one that placed individual rights at the center um, up until that point. Before that, it was simply a case of divine right of kings and stuff like that, and by yeah, rule by force kind of thing. So, if you have the right things in place, then I think um, you, you can have that sort of that sort of pledge or something. But I don't think it should become a case of um, I swear allegiance to the premier of the of the West of the independent Western Cape, Nicholas Wood Smith, kind of thing. That that to me, I'm, would be I'm fine with that. I don't think we should be too hasty, <laughs> or just Nicholas Wood Smith in general. Um, yeah, true. Yeah, actually, maybe yeah, for the founding father. Yeah. Um, Martin, and if anything to add, perhaps to um, Nicholas' point that we will, uh, we're paying at the moment too much um, in comparison to what we will pay if we secede. Hmm. Yeah. No. I mean, he's he's absolutely correct. Uh, uh, you're not. My my point was that you're not going to get away from paying something. Uh, we. South Africa and the Cape, even before South Africa became uh, a union in 1910, uh, was integrated. Uh, the foreign writers, when they wrote about South Africa in the 1800s, they wrote about South Africa. There was no country called South Africa, but they wrote about South Africa, and that referred to the Cape Colony, the Natal Colony, uh, the Orange Free State, and the Transvaal uh, Republic. Uh, so these four regions, have, and, and Rhodesia was also included, these regions were always regarded as a unit in some way or another, even though they were politically independent. That is not going to come to an end anytime soon, even if the Cape and all other uh, provinces declare independence. Uh, uh, this will still remain an economic unit to a large extent. It will remain an infrastructure unit. It will remain a, a cultural unit. Uh, I think South, the South African region is by far the most westernized um, part of Africa, for instance. So there's very much a cultural uh, uh, unity here. 
Um, so you're gonna you're gonna pay something. You're never gonna have a total sovereign, absolute independence if you operate in this area. Uh, so why not pay something, but then get something out of it as well? So I agree completely with Nicholas. Uh, it, uh, you need devolution first. Um, you're still gonna pay, uh, and if you get independence, you're still gonna pay. But you're you're at least getting something to get get away from the nonsensical transformationism, uh, the employment equity and affirmative action and bloody hell from expropriation without compensation. I mean, that should be the most uh, uh, terrifying thing to people in the Cape and in South Africa in general. And to me, in, in my mind, at least, uh, that creates a sense of urgency uh, around uh, Cape devolution or Cape independence. Uh, uh, it needs to happen soon before people start expropriating uh, uh, private property and bringing our society uh, collapsing uh, down on itself. Um, so yeah, you'll get policy independence at the very least. And I think that's uh, of, of fundamental importance. Um, and, and as to what Chris said, yeah, I agree. There shouldn't be any explicit um, pledges necessarily, uh, although, um, and then I don't know to what extent anyone agrees with me on this, I do think that when it comes to the amount of political pull you have in society, then there should be some kind of sacrifice that you make or some kind of uh, uh, call it a pledge that you make. Uh, um, so that so I I accept that there is universal franchise and everyone who is bound by law by the law that a parliament creates must have a say in how that parliament is elected, but I do think that there should be different levels of franchise if I can put it that way, uh, and if you want to climb that ladder, then I do think for instance you should be. Uh, you should be vetted maybe by a by a, a, a court of law that says this person hasn't done anything to uh, be uh, to to contravene the constitutional principles of our society and therefore their vote now weighs more now i know germany today has uh, something like this i don't know the details but they they do very much monitor and vet organizations and citizens uh, to see if they're being nazis or communists and if they are then no you you get disbanded and whatever i think something like that is necessary uh, and and i would recommend for an autonomous or an independent cape that its constitution not simply be the current conception of universal franchise. I think democracy has proven to be problematic uh, if it's uh, uh, regarded as, as uninhibited. I think far more far stronger inhibitors must be placed on democracy. Not Don't get rid of the idea, of course not, but there must be strong inhibitors. And I think the CAPE is a, is a prime example of it because the CAPE liberal tradition is very much associated with uh, what was then called qualified franchise, but all franchise is qualified, so it's 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 actually a meaningless term. Um, but I would say that uh, the Cape political elite or whatever we want to call them should rediscover the Cape liberal tradition and look into the qualified uh, uh, franchise idea or the let's call it more substantive franchise idea uh, in uh, in how they design their constitution. Um, and that that would make up for the lack of a pledge, uh, for instance, and, and make sure that only those who are who truly have skin in the game in this uh, polity 
uh, really get to have uh, a bigger say. I mean, the the principle of he who pays says, I think, is a, is a very much ignored principle that needs to needs its time to shine again. Um, and I, I think that will make up for for called indoctrination, which we certainly don't want. I don't want the, the Cape to be a, a totally a homogenous society uh, uh, ideologically. But when it comes to political decision making, there needs to be substantive limits on the the passions of populism that that uh, run through societies. And I, I think in, in Africa, and I don't care if it's a an independent cape, which is the jewel of Africa, I think as a general principle, if you're in Africa, your political system needs to be designed with far more limits on power and far more limits on, on call it democracy, uh, uh, than anywhere else. Because I, unfortunately, uh, Africa has shown itself to be quite irresponsible. Um, uh, quite reckless uh, in all of its history, even the colonial period, uh, uh, when it comes to respecting liberty and respecting property rights. I, I think uh, Africa has a, I don't know if it's a curse or something, but there's something wrong here. And we just can't afford to be, um, to, to be less, uh, to, to be too open about how we design our systems. There needs to be strong constitutional limits, far stronger than what we've seen elsewhere in the world, I would say. Yeah, well, I think uh, all third world countries pretty much have that problem. Um, but in terms of practicality, how we achieve Cape independence, Nicholas, how do you see that actually, how do we do it, right? What is the best way to do it? And to add to that, um, Franz Cronier, for example, has said that he thinks it's very unlikely, but he said that if the Zulu kingdom secedes, then all, I don't know what's the correct phrase to use, but now it's actually possible. He says, if it's they go, yeah. Um, and Davi Ruet has said that, I mean, just declare independence. I mean, the state is so incompetent, they won't be able to do anything. And mm -hmm. to add to that, it's an interesting idea I've had that three to one, I mean, there's a common statistic thrown about that private security outnumber the police, I think three to one. So, I mean, what happens if a person just bought a lot of private security and just seized all the key government institutions in the Western Cape? Just throwing it out there. But I mean, yeah, what do you see as the best way to do it? Uh, so before I go into that, I quickly just want to respond to uh, Martin, if I may. Sure. Um, so I completely agree with the more with the stricter qualified franchise idea. Um, the problem is, is that can you imagine the rest of the world allowing that to happen? It's this idea that you have to have this pure, you know, everyone over the age of 18 is allowed to vote regardless. It's more of a foreign policy issue than anything else. I would love to be the merchant republic of the Cape where um, property uh, owning property is actually uh, um, qualifies you to vote. But I don't think anyone would let it happen. Now, onto the practicality. So there's two real uh, roadmaps. There's the peaceful negotiations, and then there's the violent one. You, we don't really know, and they can mix. In general, both of them start with building manpower. You have to have a movement behind you that's willing to back up whatever strategy you have to do and whatever circumstances. You need support. And the thing is, as we can see from the uh, decolonization movements in Africa, you don't actually need the majority of a country to secede. In most places that split off from the British Empire, it was a small minority, often not even locals, Russian-backed um, terrorists who basically seceded. 
you don't, we don't need a majority in the Cape to actually secede. You just have to have a loud elite minority that's able to lead it. And you have to have enough manpower to actually, if it's peaceful, make it look like it's a large movement and fill each peaceful role of being a negotiator or being a flag wave at a protest. And if it's violent, you need enough people to hold guns. Now, the um, so first you need a movement, you need manpower. And this is a problem that a lot of people forget. It's um, a big problem in South Africa that people think they can skip from having an idea and then they win. You have to build up that movement first and that's essential. Um, and that's what we're still doing. And I see a lot of people trying to skip with the polling and the referendum stuff, which I agree with Martin. I hate the idea. I've been trying to argue with Phil Craig and, uh, uh, all the, and the Cape Party and all of them and I, by abandoning the stupid referendum idea and focusing on building a movement. Um, after you have a movement, you use that as a bargaining chip to start negotiating. So first you use that to negotiate with foreign powers okay, to get uh, their support. So, yeah. so you have the movement. How do you prove to the government that you, for example, it's big or whatnot, like that they listen to you? Okay, so it's um, initially let's look at the actual anti-apartheid things. Well, now the anti-apartheid movement, it's very hard to actually gauge how many people were truly a part of the liberation movements. But what they did is they had these massive demonstrations where they went out on the streets, they showed their colors, they showed their um, branding effectively. It's like a business. You show your branding and it, people start recognizing that. And it starts coming up that people start thinking these colors mean Cape Independence. And they, they, every single time they see it, they click something in their brain that makes it seem more prevalent and stronger. Yeah, if I may interject, uh, yes. uh, just to say it itself, it, it becomes self-evident. I mean, mm. you you don't have to show X amount here and X amount there. It, it, when when every second article in the Cape newspaper is about independence, when every car has a little independence flag mm. hanging out of it, the government will simply know we have a a groundswell happening here and we need to address that. So you don't have to say we have this number. It 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 must become self-evident, and if it's not self-evident, it means you're no you're not yet where you need to be. Hmm. Exactly. And this is one of the big problems that I have with polling as well. And I think Martin and I share exactly our views on polling there is it's unnecessary. Um, you, it's a, the numbers you need to show are not a specific digit. It's just a feeling. Now, after you have that, that's, those are initially your resources. So they flow into other things. But then you start using it as a bargaining chip, firstly, to get support. From local organizations, you're going to need low, uh, support from local corporations, local other civic organizations, political parties, anything. Also from foreign, uh, foreign governments and foreign political parties. That's very important. That's something the ANC did extremely well. That even though they were not the primary liberation movement in um, South Africa, they became the primary liberation movement because they convinced the world that they were. So that's something that a Cape Independence organization has to do. And I know that the um, Cape Independence Advocacy Group has been doing that to a degree. And they have been talking to uh, foreign political parties, foreign secessionist movements, which are actually very valuable because um, those are initially your your first friends are secession, other secessionist movements. And that's very good, especially if you ally with one that's about to secede, then you immediately have a new friend in uh, who's now recognized by the international community. But is that recognition that you really need? There's uh, something called the Montevideo Convention, which basically defines, it's it's only recognized in a few countries, but it's a general idea of how a what constitutes a legal country. And possibly the most important aspect of that is you need foreign recognition. People just have to recognize that you are a independent country. So it's better to actually get that support first before you actually secede because it makes things a lot easier. 
after you have all that, you have your bar- uh, more bargaining chips, and then you can start going to the table with your overlord. You can start going to the table with the NC government and negotiating with them from a point of power, using your manpower and using your foreign support and your local support to say that we have all these things that can threaten you, let's negotiate for concessions. And, um, and the big thing is, is that you don't just declare independence overnight unless there's a crisis in the country where you know you can get away with it. Now, if there's a huge civil war and you kind of need to pull out and you know that the government's not going to be able to stop you, do it. But you can't plan for those. Those things are watershed black swan events. Um, but let's say that South Africa never has a crisis. Let's be optimistic and say South Africa remains a perfectly unstable, <laughs> stable country for uh, d- uh, decades. Um, it will be, we'll go to the negotiating table and we use our bargaining chips to try to get our concessions. If they give us concessions, great. We then so, uh, take advantage of those concessions and keep building the movement saying, look guys, with all the, co- we've gotten these concessions, it means that we can start demanding more. And you start using that to start demanding more and more because if they give us a finger, we can take the arm. And on the other side, if they, regret, if they reject the concessions, that will make people angry. And that will, uh, will prove to the international community that we are living under an authoritarian regime that does not care about its population and does not care about their wishes, which will justify our self-determination. So it's actually a win-win there. But before you do that, you have to get those bargaining chips. You have to get the keys to power. And after that, it's basically just a case of just being irritating and negotiating with them a lot or waiting for a Black Swan event. Okay, Chris, do you want to add anything? I just want to say um, we're, Cape Independence is going to happen. And then I want to ask Nicholas, how is he going to deal with uh, the people who jog at, on C Point every day who want to be led by Cyril? <laughs> oh, God. Um, so the three Karens who support him, um, they can start the little fan club and they can appoint him as their fan club president. Um, but that, didn't <laughs> lo- that didn't last long. I mean, that just lasted yeah. while the Rambaforia was there. Nobody wants to jog with him now. Yeah. Oh, uh, sadly, I think a lot of people still do. I, I think, especially now that he is doing something with corruption, yeah. I, I think that I think there'll be a groundswell of support for for the ANC again. So I will say that um, the the ANC could perf- are perfectly allowed. I would say, unless they have explicitly, because I do agree with Martin's idea of constitution restricting what parties are allowed to campaign for. But if the NC wants to start a lighter form of their socialist policies, but you know, without the socialism in the Cape Republic, I'm not going to stop them. Maybe Cyril can apply for citizenship and get it and he can run for president. And maybe some of, maybe he might get a parliament seat or whatever equivalent we have. He'd be on the merchants council. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, cause apparently he's supposed to be this great businessman who shoots minors. Um, children and the people who mine the ground um and um maybe the nc might get uh, be elected but i really doubt that and this is a big thing where people get afraid they think oh no we might get taken over by another power the worst thing that can happen if you look at the history of the cape is that we'll just have a da government which is terrible i hate the idea but it's still better than the NC government. And I do think that without the threat of an NC or EFF, I think that a lot of people will realize how incompetent and how subpar and milky the DA are um, and start getting better alternatives and will start being more radically free market. Um, I think that the worst party we'll end up having is probably some colored nationalists. 
but I don't think that they, I, I don't think they will be the majority. I think that if anything, they might be a loud coalition partner that you just concede and say, oh, you can have this public holiday. And then, um, and that might be the extent of it. Donald, if I may, I just have a question to put to the three of you. Sure. Um, so, I mean, for me, I mean, part of my work is writing on and researching government policies and commenting on it. And, you know, I should be thankful that I live in the country where the government has messed up as much as it has. Otherwise, I might have to work in academia or something, God forbid. Mm. Um, but one thing that I think people don't appreciate a lot is and that I'm thankful for is that I, I'd much rather have an inefficient and corrupt communist than an efficient uh, even centrist, middle of the road person in charge, bureaucrat, um, something like that, in charge of of the government and the levers of power, because they'd be a lot more, they'd be a lot better at cracking down on my liberties than an efficient, an inefficient communist. So let's say we get Cape Independence, and for example, a more busybody democratic alliance gets elected, um, then they have more control over their fiefdom. How do you deal with that kind of situation? Do you then have further breakaways and further independence movements? I mean, maybe Seapoint will break away at some point. I don't know. Clear, but what do you guys think of that? Um, I think that the, I see your point and I agree that it is a problem. But as I said, I think that if the DA does not have the ANC or the EFF boogeyman to keep winning them elections, I think there will be good competition that will put them in their place. I also think that if you look at the DA's local policies and their internal politics, the Cape, the Western Cape DA is a lot more liberal and libertarian than the national DA. All of the general bad things in the DA come from the national DA caucuses. The Western Cape DA, very free market, very libertarian. If you like, look at people like Tammy Jackson, she's actually quite representative of the, the libertarians that we have in the local DA. Um, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, I think the DA would pr actually split up. Now, I obviously don't, uh, I'm not going to put money on it, mostly because I don't think the bet will ever come to fruition. But I do think that if there is a secession, the DA will split up unless they end up becoming the Cape Party. If they become the Cape Secessionist Party, it may change, but they're going to have to change their policies drastically. And I think that if they ever did become a secessionist party, they will not be the current DA that we have. And it'll be very fascinating to see what type of policies they would support on that, under those circumstances. Yeah, I would add to that, the scenario in which I see the DA becoming a secession party is if they continue to struggle nationally. And with the pressure of the Western Cape, they feel that that's the only way to go. Um, but in terms of, I see it all, the politics in the Western Cape can only be better. All of this is relative, but um, it can only be better because even now you can see, like Nicholas has said, the average quality and the ideology of the politicians here are far more right-leaning than nationally. And um, um, I, I believe that the Western Cape is basically just, I don't know, 20, 30 years ahead of the national sphere. And that's... The, the situation that the ANC is currently in is probably what the ANC is going to be 20, 30 years from now. I mean, the ANC basically in the Western Cape is imploding. I, they couldn't basically elect a leader last time around. So I, I see that's basically what's going to happen nationally as well. So, yeah, I just it's we're just in a better situation here in the Western Cape than nationally. We can have problems, but it's most likely not going to be bigger as the national situation in the future. Yeah, so my uh, 
my view on that is uh, far less. Uh, so, so my issue of the theory of democracy, especially as it uh, comes from the British tradition, is that from the start uh, they said we don't need, and and this is the British constitutional tradition as well. We don't need these strong limits on government because the people will fundamentally vote their vote to limit government. They, they There won't be high taxes because people don't like taxes, so we'll, they'll vote against higher taxes. And this is fundamentally also the the, uh, the Grund norm that, that went into the unification of South Africa. People like Jan Smits and uh, John Xavier Merriman make these, made these arguments and said, we don't need a rigid constitution because no one is going to vote for big centralized government. Don't be ridiculous. Uh, uh, it's 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 all fine. We have democracy. So so what's there to worry about? I have I have very little faith in democracy, and I think uh, the new South African experiment is just a further proof. I think the old South African experiment was the was already conclusive proof, but now the new South African experiment is more proof that um, democracy is only as good insofar as it is very strictly limited so my answer to chris's question is is to say that the uh there needs there needs to be a very strong constitution set in place uh and and not just nice text i i know a lot of people say yeah if the people aren't constitutionalist then it won't work and that's absolutely true so i'm not just saying there needs to be nice strictly defined rights and so on and government may not do this and government may, may not do that it needs to be about a constitution establishing institutions and these institutions need to be pitted against one another from the very start the uh the internal cape divisions call them districts or provinces of the cape or whatever need to have a very real incentive to be opposed to the national cape government mm. the 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 legislature in the cape needs to have a very real and constitutionally defined and encouraged incentive to be opposed to the executive independent executive institutions need to have an incentive and a, an institutional incentive to be opposed to each other that's something that is absolutely totally lacking in south africa because we have something called cooperative governance which uh, is all about all organs of state must pull in the same direction that is that's poison to constitutionalism that is absolute poison and if the cape whether it goes the route of autonomy or of independence uh and in either case there needs to be uh institutions that by their very nature are opposed to each other uh where you put someone in power a totally anti-libertarian anti-democrat authoritarian needs to want to defend his domain uh, against other government institutions to such an extent that he in practice turns out to be the best limiting factor to government that is how you make a constitutional success and that is what the the cape if it wants to be a free society uh, 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 will need to do is it will need to have these institutions have more than two houses of parliament have five uh, have more than uh, uh, a single head of government like a single prime minister have have a rotating prime minister like uh, the swiss have stuff like that needs to be fr uh, fr uh, at the very forefront put, of the K put, system of government. Put term limits on bureaucrats. Absolutely. Yeah, no, more of that. <laughs> because that's one thing I don't understand. I mean, these people are there like for 25 years. Why? I mean, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. but also to add to that, the one ugly thing I see possibly in the Western Cape, as Nicholas also mentioned, is sort of a colored nationalist 
party that yeah goes heavy against immigration because it's so, sort of an underrated statistic in South Africa how many South Africans are not do not view immigrants in a favorable light. And I mean, I don't know to how many colored people you've spoken, but in general, to, how to put this delicate, they're not so f- fond of their darker brethren. Um, yeah, like that's the worst case scenario. It, yeah, it can get ugly in that sense, but still, I don't think that's highly likely. Hmm. I, th- I think they're a violent, loud minority, but they not actually, but if you look at the support on the ground, they're quite small. They, they haven't even been able to get that much into the news. I know about them because I pay attention to small little uh, uh, political movements and I know some people have spoken to the people on them. But um, in general, the main problem in the Western Cape, as it's going to be, which it is now, and it's going to be for quite a while, is gangsterism, which, if anything, we need secessional federalism in order to have the local policies to address that. And I think that that's going to be a, that is actually separate from secession. That's something which is, it's its own problem. I, I can't, you, I don't even think you can blame the NC for causing it. You can blame them for preventing the solutions for it there. Yeah. I think we also shouldn't look past, uh, I know the, the Cape Colored Congress is a bit authoritarian, but there, there is definitely uh, a white faction call it uh, mm. uh, that that's also quite racist, I would say, uh, oh, which which tends to uh, poison what I think is the the, the mass uh, liberal democratic mentality of the the Cape independence movement, and and this is also something that that must be borne in mind, maybe worked against, um, but also uh, just just acknowledge that when the media says, yeah, but this thing about uh, white supremacy, there uh, there's a there's a grain of truth there. It's it's not mm. it's not mm. it doesn't define the movement, but there's a grain of truth there that it can only do the Cape Independence movement well to say yes, there are these clowns, and they have no pull. Their influence is very limited, and we we want nothing to do with mm. their policy prescription. So that's just something that I think should be borne in mind. Yeah, it's mm. annoying. I mean, this these sites, these Cape Independence sites, where they have like pictures and posters of like black people marching and it's like titles like we have to mm-hmm. get away from this we have to march away from this so i mean that jeopardizes everything but i mean yeah i mean this is about been an hour um do you guys want to add or plug anything nicholas let's start with you um i would actually like to plug something which i'm only marginally involved in just as i i support them and i just talk with phil craig quite a lot but the cape independence advocacy group is the only Cape Independence organization which I actually take seriously. They are they actively reject the, the white supremacist wackos. I think they're very pragmatic in the good sense. Um, and I think they're very professional. I think they have some problems where they're obsessed with polling and referendums. But compared with the other groups, that's a small problem. Um, from the other plug, my personal plug is uh, remember to read the rational standard for uh, Cape uh, classical liberal and uh, also Cape Independence News. Uh, we are one of the few media houses that will always, almost always publish pro Cape Independence stuff. Well, within reason, we haven't received anything we've had to reject yet. Um, and that's all the relevant plugs from me. Chris. <coughs> uh, thank you, Donald. And to my fellow panelists, always a great discussion and spending time with you guys trying to think through these issues um to the viewers and listeners if you're interested to learn more about the free market foundation you can go to www.freemarketfoundation.com for all of our articles publications research 
and you can also consider donating to support the foundation if um if you're able to do so and you can find all of our podcasts on um, youtube free market foundation and also across audio platforms such as spotify google podcasts and apple Podcasts. just search for um, the free marketeers thanks martin yeah, thanks for the opportunity. I always enjoy discussing uh, political theory like this. Um, so my uh, major plug is my own website. Uh, that's martinvanstaden.com. Uh, it's all one word. Um, yeah, you'll find my articles there. You'll find all the different organizations that I'm involved with uh, on there. Um, uh, you'll, you'll also find that uh, I've been on Worldview before, so I would encourage you to uh, look at uh, that extended interview where we get into some of my other ideas uh, around uh, geopolitics and uh, libertarianism and law in South Africa. I'm a jurist fundamentally, um, so have a look at that. But also keep your eyes out on the Cato Journal for, I believe, the September edition. Uh, of the Cato Institute, where um, I have written a journal article, an academic article on Cape independence, and more specifically on uh, devolution of power within the Republic of South Africa with the Cape as the case study. Uh, I think this is the first time that the modern Cape independence movement appears in academic literature. So I'm very uh, excited about that. So keep your eyes out on that. I believe it's open access. You can just Google Cato Journal uh, in September and then you will find the article there. And I hope that gets uh, at least an academic discussion going about the merits and demerits uh, of devolution in South Africa and maybe even Cape independence. So yeah, uh, uh, first port of call, martinvanstaden.com. Thanks, Donald. Sure. Um, yeah, I'd also like to plug something, but I mean, it's over there. I'll plug it in afterwards. <laughs> um, yeah, electricity joke. Um, but yeah, this has been Worldview. Thanks for watching. Until the next Worldview. <laughs>